Amen. Why don't you be seated? And we pray that's true, that our heart would be given only to Jesus, and that would be expressed in our song of life. Take your Bibles and let's look to Matthew. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 7. Just grateful for your attendance today, particularly if you're a guest of ours. I was moving around and just was introduced to a number of you. I just wanted to thank you for your coming today. It's really significant. We believe that God, by His Spirit, draws people together to form a faith family, a body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of that. And I have no idea that if God is, is moving you to join a faith family. If He's doing so, it would be first, you'd be part of the kingdom of God, that your life would be given to Jesus Christ, you'd be surrendered to Him, and that you'd recognize that that's done better in connection with other Christians. And if, if maybe the Spirit of God is drawing you to this place, uh, then we're obviously grateful for that. And if it's not, that you're to be here, then we encourage you to go where the Spirit of God is leading you. In the end, we're your biggest fans as long as you're obedient to the Spirit of God. And so we want you to, to be here if the Spirit is leading you. If there's an opportunity for you this morning just to take this card out, and there is right now, just fill out this card and slip it in the collection plate, if, especially if you're new to us today, because Kay and I host all of our guests in our home for a very informal gathering uh, you just come casual, and we'll just have some, some heavy hors d'oeuvres, finger foods, that kind of thing, and just stand around and get to know each other a little bit better. The only people that will be there are the staff and others who are brand new. So it's, a, it's the easiest time. Now, you might be a little anxious going into that, but maybe five or ten minutes in, you, you will have a settledness about you, and you'll be grateful that you came as you'll be introduced to a lot of people, you'll get to hear more about the ministries at Meadowbrook. So just fill out that card for me, if you will. Now, the collection plate's already passed, so I've missed giving you the opportunity to do that. But if you'll complete it and just put it in your seat when you leave, our staff will gather those up, and we'll start sending you some information about that upcoming event. Uh, we won't come knocking on your house door unless you invite us to. Instead, Kay and I will open up our home and invite you into our house, so I'd love to be able to do that. Now, everybody take out your handout, the uh, connection handout that was given you today, and look at the, the first page of the notes there, because I've got a quiz that I need you to take. Uh, I promise you'll do well. Everybody's going to make an A-plus on it, because it's all about you, <laughs> and you know the answers to these questions. Now, let me just read through them. If you will read along with me, I'd appreciate it. What do you hope people think about you? Just let that answer kind of get in your mind there. What do you hope people think about you? And when do you feel the most loved or the most liked? Or what builds you up, brings esteem into your life? Or in what way might somebody help you today? What's a great gift that you would like to have? Now, we're talking within reason, right? Uh, not talking about a million bucks today. Or what is it that you dislike or what upsets you or when do you feel unloved or discouraged in life or what brings out the worst in you? Now you might be saying, Randy, where are you going with this? Because it sounds like a real touchy-feely, self-promoted kind of message. And I can tell you it's not that at all. This is going to be a Christ-centered, God-honoring message. But I want to take it in the direction that Jesus takes it today in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Now, if you're new to Meadowbrook, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for a number of months now, and we're just now coming to the conclusion. And it's in this message, Jesus is moving to an invitation, as it were, 
And next week we'll talk about that where he's, he's inviting people to come into the kingdom and telling how, to, how that happens. But right before he does that, right before he moves into the invitation, he gives a summary of the entire message. And this is like the greatest message of all time. And he brings it to summary into one verse. And it's Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And in this one summary verse, he begins to ask us to think about ourselves. What do you want people to think about you? What do you? How do you want people to treat you? How do you want them to engage you and act towards you? And he puts this in this verse, what we call the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now let's just take a time out and pray. Lord, if you're going to give us a one-sentence summary of the greatest message preached with such depth of truth, if you're going to give that to us today, we need your Spirit's instruction. So I'm humbly asking for him to speak and to give insight and to give clarity for me and everybody in this room. And we pray in the end that our lives would be shaped by the truth that he is going to share with us and that those who should come to faith will and those who are in faith will express that faith uniquely for the rest of their days. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Jesus is finishing his Sermon on the Mount by giving us this summary, which is the reason why I asked you those 10 questions. Because we can go through the Sermon on the Mount and we can say amen all the way through it. And we can say, I agree, I agree, I concur, I concur, let it be me, let it be in me. But what Jesus does, instead of just applying the law that we are going to be agreeable to because it comes from him, he takes it and he moves it inward to us. And he begins to say, tell me how you want to be thought about. Tell me how you want to be talked about. Tell me how you want to be treated. And in the same way that you desire those things, the way you wish that to be, in your life, begin to live that expression to other people. So what makes you the happiest? What would be the most helpful for you today? What would you hope people would be thinking about? What brings dislike? What tears you down? Those things, instead of it being self-centered, begin to be applied by Jesus to be others-centered. So Randy, think those ways. Say those words. Do those things. Help in this way. Give in that way. Now, in this one sentence, Jesus is applying a great level of truth. Go back with me in the message, if you will. If you go back, this is in chapter 5, the sermon begins, and Jesus begins to make some commands in his message on this, this mountain. And here's some of them. He says in chapter 5, verse 21, don't stay angry with other people. He says, don't divorce, don't retaliate, love your enemies, give to the needy, don't judge. Right, those are some of the things that Jesus has, has spoken in this message. And now after delivering that, he is going to apply, if you will, a layer for us to have a greater understanding and an application to this message. So if you read back through those commands that Christ has given in the Sermon on the Mount, 
and you read it with whatever you wish others would do, do to them, then it takes on a different level of exercise. For instance, if he says, do not stay angry with other people, with the golden rule applied, it would go something like this. I like when I experience grace and forgiveness from others, therefore I must be gracious and forgiving to others. So it's one thing for Jesus to say, now don't stay angry. When the sun goes down, make sure your wrath is gone with it. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to say, when people show grace to you, when people are forgiving to you, and that's the way you wish they would be in your life, turn that experience into expression. Take the truth that I'm sharing with you about not being angry and apply it as you want it applied in your life. Or here's another one. Do not divorce. All right, so obviously Jesus has said from Malachi and many other places in his word not to engage in divorce. So in that, we would say, I want to do everything but divorce. So it goes like this. I like when my spouse is generous with love, respect, grace, forgiveness, and time. Therefore, I must be generous to my spouse with those same things. In other words, those are the opposite of divorce. So it's not just, okay, I agree, I shouldn't get divorced, but it's moving towards people, primarily your spouse, in a way that you want them to move towards you. All right, let's go through, don't retaliate. I like when people overlook my faults and sin rather than pay me back evil with evil, therefore I must never repay evil with evil, but be quick to overlook the faults of others. Or related to your enemies. I like it when people show me love, especially those people that I have failed to show love to. Therefore, I will show love to people, even those who are unloving towards me. You see where Jesus is going with this golden rule? Give to the needy. I like when someone is generous to me, therefore I must be generous to others, especially those who are in need. Or do not judge. I like it when someone shows me grace when I falter. Therefore, I will show grace to others rather than be judgmental. So the golden rule takes the message that Jesus has given to us in these three chapters and applies it to us. Now, Randy, as you want this to be given in your life, you give it to others. As you want people to treat you, treat them. As you want them to speak and think about you, you think and speak about them in those ways. Now, it's pretty easy for us to put rules together when it's relative to us. In my house, when I'm making up the rules, it goes like this. Hey, bud, you will respect me. <laughs> you will tell me the truth. Now, we're going to spend time together today. You know, I get to make the rules up. And, and when I'm in the center of that, that's pretty doggone easy. All right, Jesus flips that. He says, Randy, if you're demanding respect and you want respect, then give respect. If you're looking for time, you give time. If you're wanting love, be a giver of that love. If you're wanting grace, you want mercy, you want whatever, whatever it is that you wish for yourself, give. And in that, the expression of the gospel takes on a whole new level. The depth of the gospel takes a whole new level. Now, we might ask, so why is God so interested in all of this being expressed in my life? 
Why is he so given and concerned over my forgiving other people or my building up my marriage or being gracious and kind or unconditionally loving or generous or non-judgmental? Why is he so engaged in that through this message? Well, the answer is found at the end of the golden rule. You might have just passed right by it because mostly we quote the golden rule as do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or in the ESV, as you wish others would do unto you, do to them. But notice the end of this. I've underlined it on the screens for you. For this is the law and the prophets. All right, now, that's not just a little tagline that Jesus has put in there. That, my friends, is a big deal. Because if I were going to summarize the scripture that Jesus had at the moment he gave this message, it would be the Old Testament scripture. That's what he had. You know, the New Testament is just now coming about. And it will not even begin to be written for just a handful of decades. So what Jesus had was the Old Testament. And how do you summarize the Old Testament? You summarize it as the law and the prophets. In fact, the, the Old Testament is made up of the books of law and the words of the prophets. Now, there's some other genres in there as well. But in summary form, this is what God says is the word of God, the law and the prophets. So now we see what Jesus is saying is something different. As you wish would be done unto you, do to others, for this is a summary of the whole Scripture. In other words, this is where the whole Scripture from the beginning of Genesis all the way through, this is where it's been moving to, that we would engage in loving God and loving others. And that that love would be expressed in that as we want to be treated, we would treat other people. You know, there are other places in the scripture where he says something like this. Um, love others like you love yourself. As you love yourself, love other people. All right, so we're seeing that the fulfillment of that is me expressing love in the way I want to know love. Or me expressing kindness in the way that I want to be receiving kindness. Or me being a giver of forgiveness when I want forgiveness. This is what the law and the prophets have been moving to this point. In fact, in the latter part of Matthew chapter 22, he says this. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second command. It's likened to the first. For in this is... The depending of all the law and the prophets. In other words, the summary again of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, is to love God and love others. And now Jesus is saying the expression of loving God and loving others is doing unto others as you want them to do to you. So I want you to hear this. This is like the apex of our life. If you want to know what your life is to be, your life is to be the full expression of the Bible. <laughs> Randy, that's pretty doggone huge. Okay, reduce it to this. The full expression of the Bible, the law and the prophets is to love God and love others and it is most readily expressed when we do to others as we want them to do to us. You see where Jesus is going? He's not just taking laws and applying them like you got to do this, you got to do that. It's not a prescription for living 
It is our living, and it's the expression of our life. Now, throughout the scriptures, there's some pretty interesting uh, sections of, of the law that Jesus gives to us. I mean, we know the basics of the law. Uh, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, don't commit adultery, all those things. And it's not just that God is coming up with ten rules for living. These are expressions of loving God and loving others. All right, so if you're not loving God and you're not loving others, you're going to break those laws. All right, so they're, they're expressions of love. But then there are a lot of other laws that are given to us in God's Word that are also expressions of loving God and loving others. Here's some interesting ones. If you meet your neighbor's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. And if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with, with it. You shall rescue it with him. All right, so I don't know how many of you have been seeing the oxen around here that's running astray. I don't know how many donkeys are running down, 411 right now. But if it's one of your enemies, God is saying, Park your car and get that oxen back into your neighbor's, maybe your enemy's, pasture. And if you see him working his donkey and he's got a heavy load on it and the donkey finally just collapses under the burden, don't just chuckle and say, that stupid enemy of mine is killing his donkey. Get out of your car and go relieve the animal of its burden and help it up. <laughs> you might say, well, Randy, why would I do that? He's my enemy. Because if it was your animal that was running astray, if it was your animal under the burden, it would be your desire that someone would stop and help, that somebody would make a move towards it. So let's just say you're going to the gym. It's tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., and you're heading to the gym. And like all of us, you want the closest spot to the door to the gym where you're going to work out. I don't know why we think that way, but have you ever noticed that? You're going to the gym to work out for an hour, and you're too lazy to walk further than the first spot you can find. It, it doesn't make sense, but we all are like that. All right, let's say you're, you're circling around, and you see a spot coming open, and you're starting to make your move. But at the same time you're making your move, somebody else is making her move. And now the competition is on, right? I mean, it's like, who's going to get there first and grab that thing? You even feel your heart rate getting a little bit heavy and your foot going a little bit down on the gas. And, and you're going to get there. And let's say you're both right there almost at the same time to make that move. And the Spirit of God says to you in your heart, all the words of the law and the prophets rest in this moment. <laughs> it's just a parking spot, Randy. If the expression of loving others comes from giving to them what I want myself, then at that moment, that parking space being yielded to that person becomes the expression of all the law and all the prophets. Because I prove I love God and I love others more than I love myself. I prove that I'm willing to give of my own desires so that that person can have their desires. Now, when you get in the gym and you start the spinning class, 
you just beat the heck out of them on the spinning class, right? You go further, longer, faster, harder. You sweat more. You can do all that competition you want. But inside, you're saying to yourself, I love God and I love others more than I love myself. And in this moment, that person has no idea that I was fighting for that space, but God does. Now apply that to your workplace. Apply it to your school. Apply it to people that are not very friendly towards you and are unloving. Apply it to the people who lie about you, cheat. Apply it in those ways. And the great expression of the Old Testament and New Testament, the new life in Christ, will be fully on display. So let's apply this to our nation right now. So we're at a pretty divided spot, right? Now, stop losing sleep. We've been here before. We've been through a civil war before. We've been through the 60s before. It's okay. But let's apply the truth right now. Have you ever in our lifetime seen such division? Some of you have if you go back into the 60s. I was born in 65, so I don't remember that very much. We are incredibly divided as a nation. It's not just a political division. It's sports, too. I love college football. I grew up loving college football. And it's not just because my team has faltered some over the last few years. But I don't look forward to football season quite like I used to. You know why? Because now it's not okay just to be a champion of your team, a cheerer of your team. You have to cheer the opposition. You can't just be for your team anymore. You've got to be against the other team. I've got a great orange and blue bow tie. And the only time I would ever wear a bow tie is right here in this room. Anywhere else they'll call me dork or whatever. But I am not going to wear that bow tie. You know why? Because it's divisive. It causes some of you to say, ugh. And when you wear your stuff, I say, ugh. I want to get back to the time where I loved it. But it's not just politics. It's not just sports. It's your skin color. It's your economic class. It's your geographic region. It's the shift you work. It's the family you have or don't have. There is a lot that is dividing out our country. This is the time, my friends, that our country is being fractured and the enemy is certainly working towards that way. So what is the Christian to do? The Christian is to recognize this is my greatest opportunity to express the whole summary of the scripture by loving others, loving God, and doing unto others as I wish they would do unto me. This is the greatest opportunity for us to stop praising the golden rule and start practicing the golden rule. This is the time for you and me to have all the other world be divided and us be united in our effort to make the gospel known.
And this is what Jesus is calling for us to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I strongly disagree with various proponents of liberalism and anti-biblical expression that is currently being heralded and paraded around the United States. To be blunt, I never have agreed with them and I never will agree with them. In fact, I strongly disagree with them. I think that most of them are grievously wrong and are acting in ways that are detrimental to our country. However, the way I think about them and the words I say about them and the actions I have towards them must demonstrate the love of God rather than the division that comes into our country. I must pour my heart into expressing love to them, which means that I change the inner dialogue. I stop thinking of them like everybody else and I start thinking of them as I wish they would think of me. And I stop speaking in ways that are meant to harm them, whether they know it or not. And I start speaking in ways of truth with love. And I start engaging in actions towards them that are differently. You say, Randy, they are wrong. They are so sinfully wrong. Listen, my friends, yes. And so was I. I was dead in my sin, wrong in my ways. My will was against the will of God, and yet God had thoughts of me that were good. God had words to me that were good, and God had actions to me in my sinful, wayward thoughts and ways. And those actions were good. And so who am I to hold back what has been given to me by God? And begin to view people and talk about people in ways that I wish they would not view and talk about me. You know, every time we live out this gospel of treating others as we want to be treated, we chip away some of us. We chip away the selfishness. We chip away the idolatry that has been built up in our lives. We chip away and we're, we're, we're moving less and, excuse me, we're moving more and more of that away and we're allowing the Spirit of God to build up more and more truth in our life. So I would encourage us to practice this. Every time we love somebody and we show love to them, our self-will decreases and the will of God increases. Every time we are self-decreasing, it provides room for a greater increase of Jesus in our life. Perhaps we are most vividly expressing self-centeredness when we pull somebody aside and we talk about somebody else. Maybe we are so selfishly inclined and it's so exposed the moment we speak words of opposition to someone who is living a life of sin. Maybe it's us who prove to be sinful when we move sinfully towards someone who is a sinner. I just need to remind us periodically that birds chirp, frogs jump, fish swim, and sinners sin. We ought to just get used to that. That that's what they do. So who am I to not move towards them in love? For when I was a sinner before God, God showed love to me. Earlier in this message, I mentioned to you the great commandment to love God and love other people. Before you and I begin to love our neighbors, though, we must first love God. I'm just going to kind of lay it out here. I know this is going to sound uh, somewhat difficult to receive. 
But if you've got a problem with loving somebody, your problem is not with that body. Your problem is with you and God. You've got a God-love problem. You say, Randy, you don't know what they've done to me. You're right. You don't know the depth of hurt. You're right. But I know the depth of my sin to God. I know the depth of my hurt that I brought to Him. And I know the love that He proved to be unconditional to me. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll know the same thing. That yes, that person has sinned against you, but in comparison to the amounts of sin that you've sinned against the holy God of the universe, it pales in comparison. So I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. Oh, you just don't have God's perspective yet. When you come to love God for all the love that God has demonstrated to you, when you recognize that you love God because God first loved you when you were not very loving, when you come to recognize that, it's easier to express the love for God by loving other people. So love God, love others. He puts it in that order very intentionally. Love God, love others. And now Jesus is telling us the expression of that love is given in this golden rule. Living in a way that you wish other people would live towards you. To love God, though, we're going to have to rightly see Him. When we rightly see Him, we'll rightly know Him. Now, let me build this argument for a moment. We see God by being in His Word, being in, his, in prayer, meditating on the things of God. And when we do that, we begin to see Him. For Isaiah, when he saw God in doing that, he came to a point of understanding about who God is. That God is awesome, and God is holy, and God is right. And remember what Isaiah says when he sees God in those ways? Woe am I. I'm a dead man. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Woe am I. When he saw God, he began to discover himself. When you engage and I engage in seeing God, we'll discover ourselves. In fact, some of you are not really wanting to be in God's Word because it reveals you. Some of you disengaged in worship today because the worship engaged you to see and know God more. And that required you seeing and knowing you. And I know that because I've been there many times. When we see and know God, we begin to understand more about ourselves. When I'm in study of God's Word, I see His purity. I see His righteousness. I see His holiness. I see His truth. I see a lot about His character. And it dawns on me that I don't see a lot of that in me. Now that prompts by the Spirit of God to confess to say to God, I don't measure up in comparison to who you are revealed in this word and this law that is required of me, this glorious life that you've called me to live. I don't measure up. But God, I'm grateful for your grace and your mercy. Your mercy is extended in that you are not requiring me to pay the cost for my sin because Jesus took it upon himself. Grace in that you give me the treasure of righteousness and the word and your presence and all those things. So Lord, 
I'm sorry that I find myself still sinning against you. I'm sorry that I'm not measuring up to this word. Would you forgive me? Yes, he's faithful and just. He will always forgive. Will you chart me differently today? Yes, I will give you my mind. I'll give you my spirit. I will sharpen your your thoughts about this and I'll help your ways. Any way of temptation, I will bring in the way of escape. Yes, I'll do that. All right, now I'm seeing myself rightly. Are Are you okay? You tracking on that? We're seeing ourselves rightly. All right, you catch it. Here goes the next step. This is, this is the summary, chapter 7, verse 12. Randy, if you begin to see yourself rightly, then you need to see other people rightly. And when you see them sin, and when you see them act out, and when you see them parade, and when you hear the words, and you see their, their, their uh, plans coming unfolding, when you see all that, You've got to understand them in light of what you understand about you. Oh, what do you mean, God? Well, when you sin against me, it's because you believed a lie rather than truth. When you sin against me, you went to the flesh rather than to the spirit. When you sin against me, it was your way rather than my way. Now, let me ask you, Randy, are you seeing anything different in them? Well, no, Father. I see them as being deceived as well. I see them as being duped by the enemy as well. I see them given to the flesh rather than to your spirit. I see them obeying their will rather than your will. Why, Lord, they're just like me. And if you gave me grace, then I should give them grace. If you extended mercy to me, I should extend mercy to them. If you spoke truth into me, I should speak truth in love to them. God, as I want you and others to treat me, I should treat them. And what he says in that moment is, Randy, the whole summary of the law and the prophets are now being expressed in your ideas there, and your purposes, and your thoughts, and your ways. Randy, those are mine. And in that moment, we express the gospel beautifully. Now, if we play into the hand of the culture, then we're going to bring division. And we're going to talk about it, we're going to speak about it, we're going to act against, and we're going to do things the way we want it done, and we don't express the gospel in those ways. Seeing God correctly and seeing ourselves correctly allows us to see other people correctly. And when we have seen God and ourselves rightly, and we view others correctly, then we begin to see people no longer as being hateful who are trying to rob us of some rights or beat us out for the race of money or for the primary parking spot or for a position or for fame. We see them as we see ourselves, as people who are vulnerable to the lies of the devil. And when we see people exactly as we once were, before we knew Jesus Christ, when we see them that way, then the transformation is more probable. We begin to express this gospel that has been shared with us by loving them and treating them as we wish we would be treated. Now, if we treat people the way God treats us, then that means that we treat them as we wish to be treated. And that brings a whole nother level of living for 2017. Now listen, my head is not in the sand. 
There are a lot of people who are happy about what's taking place in our country. And there are a lot of people who are sad. There are a lot of people who think there's great hope right now. And there's a lot of people who think we're hopeless. There's one party that has moved out and there's another party that has moved in. And all of that is being projected to us every day that it's divisive. And I'd say they're right. And that's where you and I come in. Jesus wants us to be like a city on a hill, shining brightly. Jesus wants us not to give to this cultural way of division, but to be the unified voice of the gospel. Jesus wants in this moment for us to have clear dividing points on truth and holiness and righteousness but to have the divisional points without being judgmental. To express in the inner dialogue of our mind affection and love to those who are deceived and off track. And to engage them in conversation in a way that God's gospel could be communicated. To love them in a way that we want to be loved. To speak to them in a way that we want to be spoken to. To act towards them in a way that we want others to act to us. For this is the law and the prophets. I wish it were different, but it's not. And in God's sovereignty, He has chosen us to be right here, right now, in this world and this culture. And I pray that He finds us faithful to illumine His glory. Father, help us because it goes against the grain of our culture and our flesh. Help us, I pray, to be surrendered. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who called us to himself by saying that we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So, Lord, help us to live in that way of denying self, being willing to sacrifice And I pray, Lord, that the gospel would be greatly and widely known because of it. In the name of Jesus, amen.